Hello, you're listening to Gaze, Gaze, in which we're gay, and we gaze into media that's by for our bat ladies who love ladies, and sometimes we talk about other stuff. My name's Erin, and my grudge will live on, even through my guts. And my name is Erin, and smoke, friend. <laughs> yes, friend, friend. Lesbian. lesbian, podcast, podcast, yes. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Ooh, it's getting awfully spooky in here. I hope a scary monster doesn't show up. Uh, don't worry, though. He's very friendly. If only you'll give him a chance. Oh, all right. (laughs) We're here to talk about Frankenstein. All the different iterations. All with sapphic background. They're all originating from Mary Shelley, and so they are all from a woman who loves women, so... It's true. You know? Some of these iterations are more lesbian-centric than others. But all of them are deeply queer, actually. Yeah, that is that is true. Every single one of these is deeply queer. Well, mm, Junji Ito may be on the verge, but I am very excited to talk about Junji Ito Frankenstein regardless. Yeah, I'm interested to talk about that too. Anyway, apologies that Hoops could not join us for this week and apologies that we missed an episode. Uh, life has been crazy. Yeah. But since I got to go to the WWE SmackDown, life is now stabilizing <laughs> and yeah. going back to normal. <laughs> life is, so life is, life is good up. now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had the flu and so I might sound kind of funny while I'm on the mend. I lost my voice completely. Let's just jump right in. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So- We talked a little bit about Mary Shelley in our last episode on Queer for Fear. I'm not going to get really deep into Mary Shelley's life. We did our whole speculation about Percy Shelley's art. We (laughs) talked about how Mary Shelley frequently expressed that she was romantically interested in women. And she went on to create the story of Frankenstein. Plot of Frankenstein, the book, is very, very different than most of the film adaptations and all of the other just adaptations that have been made of Frankenstein later. I feel like every adaptation is missing like a very key component of the original story. The closest one that I was looking at is Junji Ito's Frankenstein. And even that takes a dramatic twist in like the second half of the story. Okay, yeah, I was curious about that because I didn't read the original Frankenstein mm-hmm. and and reading Junji Ito's, I wondered if that was going to be the closest. It is the closest, yes. But when he starts building a companion, that's when all of the plot goes sideways, basically. Okay, okay. So uh, let me just walk you through what the original plot of Frankenstein is for those who are unfamiliar, for those of us who didn't have to read it in 11th grade English or in your compulsory education. The book starts out with a narrative from a ship captain, Captain Walton, who's a failed writer and who is writing a letter to his sister while he's setting off on a journey to explore the North Pole in like an unprecedented exploration. While he and his ship are on their way, he sees this dog sled that's being driven by a suspiciously giant figure. And they're all like, that was really weird. And then a little bit later on, they find and rescue a hypothermic and malnourished man who is named Victor Frankenstein and who claims that he is pursuing that dog sled and he needs help to catch up with it. And then he tells his story to Captain Walton. So Victor was a young student who was obsessed with science and alchemy, and he left behind his fiancée, Elizabeth, who is also his adopted sister, to go to Germany for university. 
Yes. <laughs> so while he's at university, he decides that he's going to create new life by splicing together dead bodies that he scavenges from, from recent grave sites. And the creature he creates is unusually tall because he has trouble working with some of the more minuscule human body parts. So in order to do that, he kind of scales up his work. He is trying to create the most like beautiful and most peaceful creature um, and is hopeful that he wakes up and the creature is like a beautiful, perfect little angel man that will <laughs> prove that life can be created outside of typical human reproduction. However, once he reanimates the body, he is disgusted by how it looks when it's in motion. So the creature is described as having these dull, watery, yellow eyes that look lifeless and yellow, fully translucent skin that shows all of the muscles and the blood vessels underneath. And Victor, he runs away in complete fear of his creation, and then he's too afraid to go back to his apartment. So he's out wandering the streets in Germany where he runs into his childhood best friend, Henry Clerval, who is coming to look for him to make sure he's okay. Because Elizabeth is very, very worried about him. He basically brings Victor back to his apartment and Victor is like, oh my god, we're going to get back there and the creature is going to be there and Henry's going to find out all of my dirty secrets. But when they get back, the creature is actually gone. And Victor, after having this realization, he develops a severe illness that is completely inexplicable to Henry, who nurses him back to health. And while he's nursing Victor back to health, Victor receives a letter from his family that his little brother William has been murdered, and that Justine, the family nanny, has been convicted and hanged for the crime. But Victor can sense that the creature was actually the one who killed William, and this sends him on this grief psychotic spiral and he runs away into the mountains where he finds the creature and the creature begs victor to listen to his tale so then we get a switch into hearing the creature side of things so he is a very bright and very thoughtful man who tells victor that his first days in the world were spent living in complete terror all alone in the wilderness Everyone that he encountered and tried to ask for help was terrified of him and hated him because he couldn't speak and because of his scary appearance. And he began to fear people and to hide from them. He started living in this abandoned shed that was next to a cottage that was full of a very happy but a very poor family. And he would collect firewood for them. He shoveled their snow. He did chores around their house. And he was never caught. And it always felt like it was a miracle that basically this poor family was having all of these chores completed by God knows what. Right. Yeah. And through observing this family, he was able to teach himself to speak. And through finding books in the forest, he was able to teach himself to read. But then one day he saw his own reflection in a pool of water and he realized that he looked so different from humans that it horrified him even more than it horrified the people that were scared of him. And it was at that point that he gave up hope that he would ever be accepted by society. And he decided that he would travel to find Victor because he believed that Victor was the person who was responsible for bringing him to this world also meant that he had a responsibility to help him. Mm. Yeah. So on his way to find Victor, though, he tried to save a child that was drowning um, because he is so empathetic to humans, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the child's father saw him and thought that he was trying to kill his daughter. And so he shot the monster in the arm and he has been having this like horrible wound and all of this pain as a result of that, too. So after that whole situation, he actually swore revenge against all humans, and he killed Victor's brother and framed the nanny for the crime. 
But then after doing that, he felt so guilty that he decided he just didn't want to interact with humans at all again after that. So he came to Victor to demand that Victor create a female companion for him. And once he has that female companion, he and his new companion will move to South to the South American wilderness and they will live peacefully away from all humans and hopefully never have contact with people again. But he says if Victor doesn't do this, he will continue his path for vengeance. He will kill all of Victor's loved ones and all of his friends, and he will follow him and ruin the rest of his life for as long as he lives. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) So quite a story to drop on him, right? Uh, Victor is understandably terrified of this, um, but he's also just very confused as to how his creation became so eloquent and so empathetic right? He starts building the female companion, but he has these constant premonitions that the only way that this can end is in disaster. So he's afraid that A, that the female companion will hate the creature, B, that she'll be even more evil than he is, or C, that they will go into the South American wilderness, they'll reproduce and create little monster babies that will then plague and ultimately eliminate all of humankind. (laughs) He's building this creature, and then one day he sees him peering through his window. And that's like the last straw for Victor. He tears apart everything that he's made, and the creature bursts through the door at that point, and he's like trying to threaten him into putting her back together and resuming his work. But Victor straight out refuses. And in response, the creature just says, I will be with you on your wedding night. Oh. Yeah. So Victor, in a panic, sails out to sea. But he falls asleep in his boat, and then he gets blown all the way to Ireland. (laughs) Don't know how that happens. And then he wakes up in prison. He has been arrested for the murder of his best friend, Henry Clerval. He's been framed (gasps) by the creature. Yes. But he's able to prove his innocence, and he immediately returns home to Elizabeth, who is still safe and sound. They are planning their wedding, and Victor plans to fight the creature to to the death on his wedding night. So the night before the wedding, he gets nervous, though, and he's like, I know the creature is somewhere here because the wedding is tomorrow. So he, like, locks Elizabeth in her room and searches the grounds for the creature, but he is unsuccessful. He can't find him. He goes back to Elizabeth's room where he finds her dead and the creature standing over her, pointing and taunting her corpse. Victor tries to shoot him, but the creature escapes. And Victor's father is so shook up by this experience that he dies of shock as well. So everyone that Victor loves is now gone. And Victor decides to pursue the creature on a wild chase that first goes through all of Europe and then leads all the way up to the North Pole, where he collapses of hypothermia and is saved by Captain Walton's ship. So now we're back on the ship, right? And it's become trapped in ice and several of the captain's crewmen have actually died trying to free the ship. The crew bands together and demands that Captain Walton turn the ship back around. And Victor is outraged at this. He tries to give the crew a very moving speech where he urges them to be men, not cowards. That hardship and danger is what leads to new discovery and you have to make sacrifices for discovery and science. But the crew is like, no, I think the human life is more important and I don't want to die. Uh, <laughs> please turn this boat around. And Captain Walton, being a, a, an empathetic man, decides to turn the boat around. But v- Victor, who is weak and dying, insists that he's going to go on alone. Um, and they're going to, he insists that they basically put him back out, out on the ice. But before that can even happen, before they can even get the ship unstuck and, and turn it back around, Victor dies on the boat. Wow. Yeah. They leave his body for a moment and Captain Walton comes back to find the creature sobbing and mourning over Victor Victor's body on the ship. 
And the creature tells Captain Walton that Victor's death has only made him even more miserable. This was the only person who knew his struggle, and it was the only person that he maybe could have found companionship with. He vows that he's going to burn himself alive on the funeral pyre so that no one else will ever know that he even existed. Captain Walton watches the creature drift away on an ice raft, and then he's never seen ever again. Wow. Yeah. All right. So that is the original story of Frankenstein. Yeah. It's pretty different from everything else that we watched and read. It really is. So much so. And the empathy that is given to the creature as well is so critically important and so often missed by adaptations, that this is not somebody that should be feared based on his appearance. This is, you know, somebody who would be caring and supportive that would save a drowning, sacrifice himself to save a drowning child, right? But that basically, you know, the story is that the crimes committed against people for being different can lead them to feel and to become monsters, Yeah, definitely. I think that that also is where a lot of the queer relatability comes with the story, right? In that seeing yourself as a monster that will never be accepted, that will be looked at with disdain by everyone around you, can lead you to do things that are harmful and hurtful and violent to people, or to just lead you to isolate. Definitely. It's so interesting to hear the story after consuming a bunch of other, like, Frankenstein related content and like have it it's like wow derived from this so i know man mary shelley was really on to something that's why this is a classic that's why it's beloved by so many people it's also funny too that it's the men should not create life like (laughs) leave it to somebody else dudes but um it is kind of interesting that like actually there's nothing necessarily wrong with his creation except that like it was not treated kindly and exactly was not allowed to exist as like other people are in the world. Mm-hmm. And that it looked different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just that difference alone is what strikes the fear. Right? Yeah. Frankenstein himself like couldn't even deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Neither Victor nor the monster even himself. Yeah. Can can cope with the fact that he looks different. And two, it's like the difference in the mixed expectations as well, where he's like, I expect that I'm creating this like beautiful angelic little little mo- being who may be like 10 feet tall, but um, <laughs> will be a beautiful picture perfect recreation of a human, you know? Yeah. And, and when it's the act of the reanimation right that makes the creature look so scary the skin look translucent you know so funny yeah Yeah. and you know what when you see frankenstein adaptations visually most of the time they don't look as scary as how the creature is described in the book yeah not at all they look very different um and you know james wales frankenstein film from 1931 i think is a great example where the frankenstein monster Looks very handsome, I would say. Very handsome man. (laughs) I don't know if I'd say that. (laughs) (laughs) This is not important at all. But it it is funny, too, in the James Whale Frankenstein, that his Frankenstein's monster, like, his pants do not fit him. And he's kind of like... He must have been on stilts or something, because the way that he walks kind of looks like he's, like, clenching his butt cheeks a little. (laughs) Yes, this is true. (laughs) made me laugh yeah that movie is is so interesting so 1931 pre-haze code adaptation 
of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that totally gives it a different plot. Yeah. It was adapted from a stage play from 1927 by the director James Whale, who was a gay man. Ah, yes, that's right. Yeah, so in the 1931 film, everybody's out in the Bavarian Alps, and it's actually Henry Frankenstein in this movie. Yeah, interesting change. Interesting change, yeah. I thought that was weird. And then his best friend is Victor. They literally just swapped the names. Yeah, that was so odd. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, Henry Frankenstein and his assistant Fritz. Also new. Yeah, also Fritz, new. <laughs> yeah, Fritz not in the book at all. Um, and also very obviously like a little, what was it? I know Hoops couldn't join us, but Hoops sent us, do you think Henry Frankenstein and Fritz ever explored one another's bodies? Um, <laughs> very obvious, like a, a little gay boy that has been recruited to work for him. Yes. I mean, like, and I... And I had to include this in the summary, and so we're going to get to this in, like, literally one second. But in the beginning of the movie, like, the, the his fiance Elizabeth, and his friend Victor are like, wow, we're really concerned about him. Like, he's been cooped up, like, in this laboratory, like, all the time. And Henry's father is just like, he's definitely having an affair. And, like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, he is with yeah. It's Like, him and him, they are, I know. Ha- they are having fun together. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway... Uh, Henry and Fritz, they're out, they're running around, they're collecting fresh dead bodies. Henry intends to make a new human from the different parts. The last thing he needs is a brain, though. And so Fritz breaks into this school to steal one, but he accidentally drops the quote-unquote normal brain and instead must bring Henry the quote-unquote abnormal criminal brain. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, um... Uh, Yeah, I... A lot to unpack there. I would love to talk about that. Yeah. uh, Again, like I said, Henry's fiance, Elizabeth, she expresses concern to Henry's friend, Victor, about like how obsessed Henry is with his current project and how she hasn't seen him for a while. Again, Henry's father's like, it has to be an affair. But Henry's old teacher, Dr. Waldman, he says that actually he believes that Henry is intending to create new life. And so all of them, they go and visit Henry, and there they find him giving life to the Frankenstein monster. The monster is very naive, but fiercely strong. And after Fritz torments the monster, the monster kills him. So after this, they decide to kill the creature, and they incapacitate him via an injection. Elizabeth, Victor, and Henry's father take an exhausted Henry back to town after this, and Dr. Waldman says that he will take care of the monster on his own. But the monster wakes up on the operating table and kills him. The monster then escapes the lab, and he meets this young girl named Maria. The two play for a little while, throwing flowers into a river, but once the monster runs out of flowers, he kind of misunderstands what the game is, and he throws Maria into the river where she drowns. Very different, also, from the book. Yeah. Very similar, (laughs) but very different. Like, really, it's such a tragic scene. It's very sad. It's very sad. Um, So back at the house, Henry has come back to his senses and he's like totally devoted to Elizabeth and their wedding. But soon after Maria's father, just completely heartbroken, he carries his daughter's body into town and the villagers form a mob and try to find the monster. 
Henry joins them, but the monster finds him first and knocks him out and takes him back to the windmill where the lab is. Once Henry wakes up, uh, he starts shouting and the villagers hear him and they all go to the windmill and the shouting from the villagers that like overwhelms the monster. And so he takes Henry to the top of the building and he throws him off. And then from there, the villagers, they all set the windmill on fire and this seemingly kills the monster. And Henry, miraculously, he survived the fall from that like three-story building. And back at his father's house, his father makes a toast to his swift recovery and to any future grandchildren. What a movie, man. <laughs> what did you, what did you did you like this one? What did you think about this one? I thought it was it was fine. Um it wasn't, uh, yeah. it wasn't particularly interesting to me, which why also I was astounded when then I watched the Brad the Bride of Frankenstein right after this and was like, Oh my god, this movie is incredible. The camp. Uh, that movie's so good. So Holy good. shit. That one oh is a really good. Yeah. Um kind of wild. But yeah, I, I thought- I thought this movie ha- it had some charming moments yeah. depicting depicting uh, the creature as being more naive and more like infantile. I yeah. would say is an interesting comparison to the book where he, like I said, he's an incredibly bright, fast learner. Yeah, right? which we kind of get to see a little bit of that in Bride of Frankenstein, but even then, he's still yeah. very naive. Right. He's not cunning, conniving, thinking five steps ahead of, yeah. of Henry. In this case, right? Yeah. And it's interesting, too, that, like, the abnormal brain is, like, a a main sticking point at the beginning. We have uh, Henry's, like, old professor, Dr. Waldman, says, like, you have created something evil because there's something wrong with the brain itself. But then when the monster awakes, he's not evil. He's just a guy. I know. He's just a normal... (laughs) He's he's just, like... Yeah. I don't know if that was, like, meant to be commentary or, like or whatever but like i i thought that was kind of interesting um you know like trauma can change the chemistry of your brain but i think it's it is like reductive obviously to to think like oh you know this person is evil because they're they're criminal or whatever Mm -hmm. exactly um but was that was kind of the science of the times of like you know all the eugenic stuff this person looks like this and this is the right way and yeah yeah did you know that this movie, that this specific James Whale movie was supposed to be adapted by Guillermo del Toro? Wow, um, really? Yeah, in 2009-ish, like in the early 2000s, he was set to do a, a full remake of this movie, and then it got canned, sadly. Ah, oh, boo. And I have sadder news. <laughs> um, I believe that this movie, this direct movie, is getting a remake uh, by Bloomhouse Films, um, <laughs> and by specifically James Wan, who did Malignant, uh, most iconic <laughs> for Malignant. So it's going to be off the shits, you okay, know? I'm actually it's... kind of there for that. <laughs> yeah, we will see. Dude, watching this movie made me want to watch Young Frankenstein so bad. I've never seen that. Oh my gosh, it's really it's well, I remember it being really funny. Um it's a a Gene Wilder Mel Brooks. It's a Mel Brooks movie. And it's very, very like it's just a parody of this version of Frankenstein. Down to when um 
Fritz is getting the brain. He's like, I got you a brain from the person Abby Normal. And it's like, no, no, you got the Abby Normal brain. No. <laughs> I don't know. It's a very <laughs> silly movie. Um, <laughs> oh, and wow. And that came out. So that movie came out in the 70s. I didn't realize it was so late, but it's shot in, in black and white. Yeah. Um, and it looks like one of the original Frankenstein movies. Yeah. I would love to watch this. Actually. Oh, my God. I, but now I, I need... I have to do it now that I've seen the other ones. Like, if I had watched yeah. that one first, I wouldn't have got it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still funny. Like, I watched it as a kid, like, without any context. And it's just, like, a silly, funny movie. Um, but, yeah. Interesting. That looks fun. Yeah. I know. I was also... Because I'm sure they make a couple of, like, they are gay jokes in there. <laughs> like, that's very much <laughs> Mel Brooks. Let's talk about The Bride of Frankenstein, also by James Whale. Yeah. Oh, my God. The camp. Wasn't wasn't the story with this one that they basically were like, James Whale, make another Frankenstein. We loved your first <laughs> one. And he was like, can I be a little bit more gay with it? And also, can I just like come up with whatever I feel like? And they were like, yeah, you know <laughs> sure. what? Yeah, Which is ahead. so funny because the, the opening is, is Mary Shelley sitting around with her her thruple and they're all they're all telling her they're like all asking about like frankenstein they're like i can't believe you wrote that crazy story and she's like well guess what there's more to tell <laughs> so apparently frankenstein's monster did not die in the windmill fire he escapes the ruins of the building and he commits a couple of murders along the way he is shot and apprehended by the villagers but he escapes to a blind man's home there, the man cares for him and teaches him some basic speech. However, the villagers catch back up to the monster and he has to flee again. At the house of Frankenstein, Henry and company are just so happy that he is miraculously alive. He renounces his ungodly creation. Him and Elizabeth go off so that she can nurse him back to health as well. However, the pair are interrupted one night by Henry's old mentor, Dr. Pretorius. Pretorius shows Henry some tiny homunculi that he has created synthetically, and he says that they should join their knowledge to make a new creation, specifically a mate for the monster. Henry is intrigued, but he declines. However, Dr. Pretorius must insist. When the monster had escaped before, the two of them had met up, and he has now gotten the monster to kidnap Elizabeth. If Henry wants to see her again, he must comply. Henry and the doctor make the bride, but when she awakens, she screams and runs from the monster. The monster says, she hate me like others, and he moves to blow up the whole lab. Elizabeth has escaped captivity, and she yells at the lab doors that she isn't going to leave without Henry. The monster lets Henry go, saying, go, you live, go. But to the the doctor and the bride, he says, you stay, we belong dead. The bride hisses at the monster and he sheds a tear before blowing the three of them to bits. <laughs> so good. Um. Also, I have to note that I recently watched Bride of Chucky. Oh, yeah. Uh, for the first time, which I loved Bride of Chucky. It's so good. Also, Aaron, next year for Halloween, I'm proposing that we watch the Chucky franchise. Oh, yeah. For our big episode. Sure. Because um, not only was Chucky made by a gay man, the original Child's Play is like about 
being a gay child that just wants to play with dolls and it's the scariest thing ever. But then as his career went on and as it became more and more acceptable to depict gay people in cinema and be able to sell it, he has made it his life goal to make Chucky as gay of a franchise as he possibly can. Wow, And yeah. as transgender of a franchise as he possibly Let's can. Let's go! Trans those Chucky um, dolls! Bride of Chucky, there are so many clear parallels to Bride of Frankenstein. Tiffany is a human girl who collects dolls and who used to date Chucky back when he was a human before he got transformed into a doll. Chucky is, like, trying to turn Tiffany into a doll, too, so that he's not the only one who is trapped in the doll body. And she is watching Bride of Frankenstein in the bathtub, watching the scene, uh, that the final scene, you know, the go, you live, you wow. stay, we belong dead at the exact moment that Chucky like drops a toaster into the bathtub and kills her. Wow. All right. Bride of Chucky's so good. Unrelated, yeah. but definitely a must watch in my opinion. Yeah. And this movie, mind-numbingly good. Like, really every, I was, like, good. hooked on every single plot point was while I was watching this. From the blind man, his friend, oh my god, what a horrible tragedy. It's tragedy after tragedy for I this know, creature. Yeah. This poor guy. And Dr. Pretorius, holy shit, what a guy. Yeah. Why was the, uh, why were the homunculi so not exciting? We could have spent a whole movie just exploring that. He was like showing him off like it was no big deal. I, it was wild. <laughs> he made perfect tiny humans that were totally happy just like chilling in these like tiny glass jars. He would dress them up in little king and queen and bishop outfits. Like, oh my goodness. Uh, Unbelievable. Interesting that he created one little homunculi the first one who is a female and she's the queen and she is terrified of the mate that yes. was made for her which i also thought was pretty interesting yes it's a clear prediction of yeah. what's about to happen and it's like if the, if you experience this the first time why yeah, don't, are don't recreate it? <laughs> yeah, you already know how this is going to go. Yeah, and Doctor Pretorius is also so clearly queer coded, and yes. it's not even queer coded. Everyone is saying you are queer, queer man. You are, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, queer old verbatim. Yeah, but but verbatim exactly. Yeah, My and goodness. also it, it, very interesting that the the same actress that plays Mary Shelley in the opening is the actress that plays the bride of frankenstein yeah yeah i guess i don't know what my thoughts on that are but did you have any thoughts about that casting because i just thought it was interesting that the parallel between the bride and mary shelley herself right it is so interesting i don't know if it was like a way of expressing like his own maybe fear of marriage and just kind of projecting that on to mary shelley and the story that is being told or or maybe kind of diffusing his intention by like placing it on a a character within the story um mm -hmm. but i don't know kind of kind of love that yeah um and you know we've talked about this before but a kind of irrational fear i had in high school was i'm gonna wake up one day and be married to a guy and it's gonna be the worst thing ever Mm -hmm. um, because I don't, I don't want that. And that was like, kind of like the horror of Bride of Frankenstein is literally that of like, okay, like you're awake now. Here's your husband. It's like, ah, his. 
this idea, yeah, of being born just to be married, just to be a companion to someone else is truly the horror. And that that's the horror that she's experiencing. She's not even a monster at that point. Everyone else is the monster. Yeah, for real. Yeah. I do wish we got more time with her. I know that maybe blissfully her life is very short because it would have been a horrible life. But I I would have loved to see a little bit more of the bride. Uh, she's only in like the last like maybe 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But she also has no appearance in the book, right? Yes. She never even is a character in the book. That's so true. It's, and, and also her creation here, I would argue, influenced the Jinji Ito yeah, adaptation definitely. later. So. I also want to say shout out to the servant character, Minnie. She's just like watching the windmill burn. And she's like, this is so much fun. I want to stay here all night. And um, <laughs> and she ends up like like kind of hanging around. And then she sees the Frankenstein monster come out. And she's just like standing next to him and like looking at him. And then she's like, ah. And then she runs back to the village. She's like, he's alive. And they're like, no, he, no, he's not. And she's like, fine, then die, everybody. Like, I don't care. <laughs> kind of iconic. Many people also interpret the monster as being depicted as bisexual in this mm-hmm. film, which makes sense as he describes the blind man in the cabin, Pretorius, and the bride all as friend. Yeah. He describes them in the same way. And with that interpretation that he's queer or bisexual mm-hmm. i think there's also an interpretation that the relationship with the bride is not designed to be a sexual relationship at all oh yeah definitely i mean the monster in this movie does not have a great knowledge of the world like he just wanted a companion it not necessarily like a like quote-unquote wife yeah exactly yeah. and that's that's something that has always been interesting to me even with the original it's like if you want a companion the reason that she has to be female in your eyes is because you're observing this family yeah and he's seeing the man with his wife and he's like okay well then i need to have a wife right yeah and it's that expectation of like he has to follow the social norms that he sees definitely yeah yeah I mean, there always there is kind of like a paternal thing going on within these adaptations between Doctor Frankenstein and, and the monster, but there's also kind of like holding up in your cabin to like make a dude kind of a thing. And we actually will get that a lot in um, I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. Okay, let's yeah, let's talk about that because I actually didn't get the chance to watch this one. This movie was wild. <laughs> was it? Did you like it? It was kind of boring. Um, okay. I I don't know if that is like divisive to say. I it was it's really interesting. I enjoyed it, but it was it's not like something I would watch again. Kind of, it, I guess, like stimulating on kind of like an intellectual level, but like on like a basic level, I was like that. I don't really like that. I mean, and it's watchable. I mean, it has alligators in it, which I also like. Is I'm like, all right, that's we like love a, alligators. We love alligators. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, but by design, this movie is just very misogynistic. And so, again, yeah. like, it's interesting in that capacity and, like, what it explores within that. But then also, I'm like, I don't want to have to watch this guy be misogynistic for, like, an hour right. and a half. And I mean, this this whole movie is one of those queer adaptations of Frankenstein that leads in the gay male direction, right? Yeah. Where, yeah. Um, it's the creation of this perfect 
boy yes. that the professor can groom into his husband? Is I, that wrong? I, like- honestly, like, not that far off. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Right, Tell let's me get more into about it. it. Yeah. So in this movie, we have Professor Frankenstein, who it, he does kind of make an aside that he is Henry Frankenstein's ancestor and that, okay. like, friendly henry existed okay so we're so we're in the lore of the of the james whale film yes, then okay i believe and so he believes that like he can heal with transplants and he wants to prove it and his goal is to form a completely normal young person indistinguishable from like anybody else and he gets the perfect opportunity when there's a car crash right outside of his window and he is able to retrieve a fresh corpse the professor is hesitantly assisted by Dr. Carlton, who is unwittingly blackmailed into keeping silent about this whole thing. He kind of was like, oh, help me get this body. And then he's like, uh, well, if you tell anybody, I'm going to tell them that you like helped me get this body and that's a crime. So you better not say anything. Another person he ropes in is a nurse that works at the university, Margaret. And Margaret, she has a crush on him. And he asks her to be his secretary, and he kind of entices her into doing it by saying that they'll get married after his big project is completed. Frankenstein, he locks himself away in his house for like two months, and he has Margaret chase away anybody who asks for him. And in his basement, he has a bunch of bodies. There's like a whole morgue set up. And he also has a pit of alligators, which he feeds... (laughs) Any of the extra bits, too, so there's no, like, lingering evidence of his crimes, which I just... Right. I love that. I love that. When the teenage Frankenstein awakes, he is able to say, good morning, and it's dark because uh, one of his eyes is not working. And the professor, he's very pleased by this, and he's also really pleased by the teenage Frankenstein crying because he's like, wow, it's so great that your tear ducts work. Like, I did such a great job on you. So Margaret complains that the professor, like, has no time for her and also jokingly says to him that she's going to find out what he's experimenting on. And after that, he hits her and she says, like, I was just joking, like, geez, but... Because of this outburst, she also gets curious and she checks in the lab uh, to see what's up. And there she sees the monster and she just screams and runs away. Does he look scary? Not really, but she like opens one of the morgue drawers and there's like a body in there. And then the body sits up and she's like, ah, and she runs away. He looks totally normal, but his face is like completely covered in bandages um, because it hasn't healed yet. After this, like, uh, the professor kind of lets the Frankenstein kind of, like, walk around and not be kept in the morgue drawer all the time. As he's becoming stronger and more articulate, he asks why he can't go outside. And the professor becomes frustrated because he asks this a lot, and he removes the bandages from his face finally, showing him that he is very, very deeply deformed from the car accident. His One of his eyes is, like, popping out. He has no skin anymore. His, like, teeth are showing. He looks very messed up. Dr. Frankenstein says that the monster has to wait for him to get him a new face. Oh. Yeah. Then the professor accidentally leaves the door unlocked <laughs> to the lab. And the teenage Frankenstein, like, wanders, like, upstairs and outside. And then, like, he's just kind of, like, wandering around outside. And then he sees, like, a pretty lady in her bedroom. And he breaks through the window. And then just kind of, like, grabs her, which just 
kills her immediately. Oh my god, she I died know. of shock. I know. And then while fleeing the scene, the rest of the people in the apartment building see him, but they aren't like totally sure what they saw. So teen Frankenstein, he goes back to the lab where the professor is very angry, but the teen says like, like, please forgive me. I swear to obey you from now on. And then soon after, Margaret, you know, she's already frustrated because this guy has no time for her. And she she confesses that, like, I know what you're doing in the basement, but, like, I will guard your secret. Don't worry about it. And the professor says, like, oh, I'm so glad you know. Like, this brings us closer. But that's totally a front. He is pissed. And oh, so he, he goes to the basement and he tells the teen Frankenstein that Margaret is going to turn him into the police and that she must be dealt with. And so the next day, the professor leads Margaret to the basement where the monster kills her. After that, as a little treat, <laughs> the professor takes him out so that the monster can pick out, like, who he wants to have for his new face. And so they pick out this guy and and then they kill him and they take him back to the lab so they can use his face. <laughs> Then finally, Dr. Carlton had been like out getting supplies and he finally comes back around and the professor tells him that Margaret left him and just disappeared. And he also tells him that he plans to disassemble the teen Frankenstein and take him back to London where he was initially from and just reassemble the monster there. Why not just let him travel? Doesn't they, he look like a normal guy at that point? He, he looks like a normal guy, but they don't have like a passport. And also oh, the kid okay. who they killed, they're looking for that guy. Uh, so they can't just <laughs> right. parade him around with his face anymore. Like uh, he did sorry, not I was un- through. I was underthinking it too. So. No, 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 you're good. You're good. They get him on the operating table, and as they're about to deassemble him, the teen Frankenstein figures out what's happening, and he attacks the professor, and he throws him to the crocodiles, and then the police arrive, and in trying to flee, the teen electrocutes himself to death on accident. Now, this is Hayes Code era. Yes. So they were gay, and they had to die. They had to die. Yeah. This guy Um, was so gay. (laughs) Yeah, uh, this teen, by the way, when when you say he, like, he had a normal body, but, like, a monster face, this is true. He does have, like, a monster face. However, it's not just, like, a normal body. He has a beefcake body. Oh, He has, like, an oiled up, like, muscle guy (laughs) body. He's he's got got them titties. Yeah, and they're out. Yeah, he's wearing a very tight shirt. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, very he tight is, pants. He is not just looking like a teenager. He is looking like a bodybuilder. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, is, he did choose a beefcake. Um, yeah, we got our hunk and we are going to reanimate him. And yeah, he, you know what? He made sure to get the additional parts that he needed from soccer players so that they would be like young and strong. And also him being a teen is like completely irrelevant, except for the fact that it's like, oh, he heals faster because he's young. But like, well, and also I feel like it's not irrelevant in that, like, at the time that this came out, there was an association with like gay men being interested in teenage boys. Yeah, you know what? You're right. right. Yeah. And that really was the association. It was more of a way to more clearly code this as a queer movie than anything. You know, that's very true, actually. Yeah, this came in, out in 1958 as well, which was like such an era for queer media with pulp fiction and just so much other shit going on. So yeah, just kind of an interesting, again, intellectually, and the fact that it's so it's so misogynistic and it's so homophobic. This guy 
Professor Frankenstein has zero redeeming qualities. He's horrible to everybody at every moment. He's shown to be really manipulative. He's shown to be insincere. Like, even if you help him, he's he will fuck you over. And very queer-coded of he's not interested in getting married. He's, like, also very controlling um, mm-hmm. and has zero empathy for anybody. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Kind of a weird one. Yeah, definitely a weird one. Are are you actually just ready to jump right into the next? Yeah, let's go. Let's let's pick it up with Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, I, I, there is so much in common with that plotline and with Jim Sharman's Rocky Horror Picture Show mm-hmm. that came out um, roughly twenty years later wow. in nineteen seventy five. Now, Rocky Horror, you're gay, you're listening to this podcast. You're probably gay, or you're yeah. very gay affiliated. At the, even if you're not, you, I'm sure you know what Rocky Horror, Horror Picture Horror. Show is. Yeah. Um, now, Rocky Horror Picture Show pulls so heavily from all the Frankenstein movies before it, and particularly, I would say, James Whale's 1931 Frankenstein in both the plot and the imagery of the castle and the tank and the electrical equipment and um, the glove. Like, there's so much with it that it's like, I can see exactly where you were coming from. And in fact, a lot of the props that were used in Rocky Horror Picture Show actually came from those early Frankenstein films. Uh, It's just one example. The tank that Rocky is built in was originally used in the movie The Revenge of Frankenstein from 1958. Oh my god, I love that. Very intentionally referential. So Rocky Horror Picture Show is a musical, and it's a dark comedy, and it's also a tribute to early science fiction films, early horror films, and glam rock. And it is a movie that takes all of that and turns it into an absolute fever dream. In Rocky Horror Picture Show, there's a young couple, Brad and Janet, and they have just gotten engaged and they're going on a road trip to tell their college advisor, Dr. Scott, who is the one that set them up. While they're on the way, their car breaks down in a rainstorm and they have to walk to a giant castle or also called the Frankenstein place uh, (laughs) to ask them to use their phone. When they get there, they meet the irresistibly attractive Dr. Frankenfurter, played by <laughs> Tim Curry, who describes themselves as a transvestite from the planet transsexual from the galaxy of Transylvania. <laughs> and Dr. Frankenfurter has created a handsome living muscle man in their laboratory named Rocky. <laughs> And in order to do this, they actually killed one of their close friends, Eddie, and they took half of his brain and stuck his body in a deep freezer in their castle. One of Dr. Frankenfurter's cronies, Columbia, is totally distraught by this because Eddie was like her boyfriend. They were very, very close and and she was in love with him. And then Dr. Scott appears as well. Turns out Eddie was his nephew, And also on top of that, he's been investigating UFOs for the government. And it seems like there's some connection with this castle uh, with Dr. Frankenfurter, the alien from transsexual Transylvania. (laughs) (laughs) And also Eddie, he might have been a good for nothing, but he was loved and he shouldn't have died. And everybody's really upset about that. Yeah. And this whole experience kicks off a wild chase, especially as Frankenfurter has sex with both Brad and Janet. And that causes a, some division in their in their engagement. And then on top of that, Janet also has sex with Rocky. <laughs> and Frankenfurter is just livid about this because he made Rocky as his perfect man, right? Yeah. And Frankenfurter just wants to kill Janet. 
So they have this big musical number that's all about how great sexual liberation is. <laughs> and then um, another two of Frankenfurter's cronies, Riff Raff and Magenta, they arrive in their alien gear to tell everybody that they're going back to Transylvania and they will be killing Frankenfurter and Columbia. They shoot them both with their laser guns. And then in a tribute to King Kong, <laughs> uh, Frankenfurter climbs a tower and gets shot and falls and dies. <laughs> and then they the castle explodes when they take off in their alien ship back to their alien planet and we see Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott wake up safe but totally covered in dirt and soot and smoke on the ground. Uh, Some of the biggest themes in this movie are obviously sexual liberation and gender liberation as well and those have made this film a cult classic for a predominantly queer audience and obviously those themes also call back to the original Frankenstein, right? Um, and all of the Frankenstein films that came before it. This is It's just such a smart movie, and it's one that most people... I feel like when most people see it for the first time, they're just like, what the fuck did I just watch? Oh, yeah. If you don't have all the context of all of these like queer Frankenstein movies before it, it makes way less sense. <laughs> I feel like going on this deep dive for this episode really helped me better understand Rocky Horror. I know. Now I really want to rewatch it. Yeah, me too. Man. Such a good comedy, too. Frankenfurter. Frankenfurter. We love it. Rocky. I'm ro- another beefcake. Another beefcake. That's the connection yeah. with I was a teenage Frankenstein, right? Like, I'm going to make a man, but he's going to be the man for me. Oh, and yeah. he's going to be a total fucking beefcake and a hunk. Yeah. Um. And Rocky, he also, he can't speak at first, but then suddenly he, one day he just starts singing and he's singing his songs and he's telling his story. Uh, just like the, you know, the creature, right? <laughs> like, yeah. he's like, I've learned so much from observing. And also I've learned that like having sex is really good and cool and feels great. And I yeah. want to keep doing it. And he's so right for that. Yeah. I don't know what to say about Rocky Horror. Just that it's such a good time. It makes Frankenstein really, really fun. Yeah. (laughs) When I first watched Rocky Horror, I watched it like 10 times in a week. Like oh, I, really? yeah, I just like, I don't know. I, I, and even first watching it, I was like, I don't understand this movie, but I'm so curious to understand more about it. Yeah. And I was like, I just want to keep watching it to see what I, what else I pick up as it's, I watch it. It's speaking to me. <laughs> it really was speaking to me. And also I was like 19 when yeah. I first watched it. So I had a lot more energy to like rewatch shit like that. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> now I watch something and I'm like, okay, on to the next thing. Like, yeah. As we're, you know, getting into more blatantly, openly, visually queer depictions of Frankenstein, it would be such a miss for us to not talk about Frank Henenlotter's 1990 film, Frankenhooker. Man, I'm so sad that I missed out on watching this. I I wish I had more time because... I... Wow. I watched it this morning. I thought it was so much fun. It also is slow at points. There are times where I was like, okay, get to the point. But then there, there, it's just so campy. Like Jeffrey Franken, the protagonist, one of his hallmark things is that he is constantly running out of ideas. And so to give himself more ideas, he gives himself a makeshift lobotomies by picking up a power drill and just drilling it into random parts <laughs> of his skull and mixing his brain all up. And then he's like, okay, I got it. Like, I'm on to the next thing. <laughs> Oh my god. It's wild. There's just like so much weird schlock in it like that. Um it is a true horror B movie with like the the goop and the the slime and and the weird 
prop creatures, you know? And also, it, we talk about him all the time. I have to bring up Bill Murray. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so Friend of uh, the show. Friend of the show, Bill Murray. <laughs> uh, we talk about him constantly because he has so many weird ties like lesbian classics and uh bill murray uh frankenhooker was his favorite movie of the year in 1990 so wow all right he actually he hung out with the crew and he was like obsessed with this and the director hennen lauder was actually so embarrassed at the thought of potentially using bill murray for clout that he while bill murray was hanging out with his crew he was like avoiding him he was <laughs> like i can't talk to that guy he's gonna think i'm just using him for his name um, but eventually Bill Murray actually tracked him down and then he had to apologize for avoiding him for so long and explain himself. And after he explained himself, Bill Murray was just like, oh yeah, like, I just really love your movie. Yeah. I want to endorse it. <laughs> and then he, he endorsed it and went on to say, if you see one movie this year, it should be Frankenhooker. Wow. Bill, oh man. I know. He loved it. So it's so weird and, and horny and sexual as well and offensive. In many points, I would say this is a very offensive film. But just to give the overall plot, Jeffrey Franken is a med school dropout and power plant employee in New Jersey in the 90s. And he has a fiance, Elizabeth, and he loves to experiment with biomechanical science. His fiance Elizabeth dies in a tragic automatic lawnmower accident <laughs> where everyone's like, move, get out of the way. And no. it's like slowly approaching. And she's oh, yeah, like, just what? Like Austin Powers. Um, and then, yeah, exactly. And then it just runs her over and kills her. Oh my God. And he steals her head and then a few small body parts, like one of her hands and I think one of her feet. And he starts trying to figure out what he can do to reconstruct the rest of her body with just these few pieces. So he realizes after giving himself a lobotomy with his power drill that he can, um, he can go to New York City. He can, uh, scavenge the bodies of sex workers and then use them to piece together a new body for his fiance. Mm. So he gets involved with a pimp who is also a crack dealer. And he basically tells Jeffrey, if you can develop a new form of super crack, um, I will let you spend one night with all of my girls. So he makes super crack. <laughs> it will instantly kill anyone who smokes it. Oh, my God. He brings the super crack to the party with all of the girls, and he's going to give it to the winner, whoever has the best body, right? But uh, everything goes awry when the girls find his bag, pin him down to the ground, and they steal it, and all of them smoke it. And uh, then they get naked and they make out with each other. <laughs> wow. And then they all die by exploding to bits. <laughs> So he takes all their deconstructed body parts and he uses them to rebuild Elizabeth. But when he does this, she can only say quotes that the sex workers have recently used. So she's walking around going, want a date? Need some action? Have money? <laughs> she hits Jeffrey over the head and escapes onto the streets. And um, when people reject her, when she asks, like, want a date? She just, like, pushes them into the street in front of cars or, like, pushes them <laughs> down, like, into the train, like, down the subway stairs, you know, and kills them. And uh, she goes on this accidental killing rampage and also a pretzel eating rampage because, she oh, <laughs> because yeah. Elizabeth was obsessed with pretzels. And later, you know, Elizabeth, she kind of wakes up. She comes to and she's able to use her brain again. And she realizes what has happened. She realizes that she's died and that she's been put back together. 
And then she reconnects with Jeffrey and they, Jeffrey's like, you know, it's going to be great. We're going to live together um, and we're still going to get married. And I'm so glad that you're back. And the second that he does this, the pimp appears and kills him, chops his head right off. Uh-huh. And then all the bo- the remaining leftover body parts of the women are in the freezer in this like purple soup. And the freezer starts like sloshing around and like all the purple goo and slime is going everywhere and come to find out they have like reconstituted themselves into like totally new weird creatures like um, hands are formed onto boobs that like walk with their fingers and like <sighs> there are mouths on feet that talk and you know they're basically just like a Cronenberg mess of flesh and body parts and that absolutely terrifies the pimp and they drag him into the freezer with them locking him in there eternally in the soup um after that happens elizabeth decides to rebuild jeffrey using all of his notes however a key component is that the serum that brought elizabeth back to life is built with estrogen so she needs to use the bodies of all the dead women to rebuild Jeffrey's body. So when he wakes up, he is on the body of a beautiful, large-breasted, sexy, curvaceous woman with giant acrylic fingernails. And she's, like, so happy. She's like, oh, my God, um, what I did may have been a little unorthodox, but hey, you look great. Now we can be together forever again with her thick Jersey accent. Oh, And he's he's just like, oh, no, this is my nightmare. (laughs) He literally says, where's my Johnson? Ah, But it's okay, because she's like, I love your new body even more than before. And yeah, that's how the film ends. They they get to be together, but at his horror, quite honestly. Yeah, fair. Again, very weird, very offensive. Obviously, the whole oh, yeah. plot is about killing killing sex workers and and sex workers being so addicted to, to crack cocaine. Yeah. Like, I'm very intrigued. Yeah. I do love that all the the sex workers start making out with each other. <laughs> Yes, there there are two of them in particular that we see making out with tongue naked, and then the rest are just kind of like all snuggling on the bed with their crack pipes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what a movie. Quite a movie. Um, Thank you, oh my god, for sharing. Bill Murray's favorite. Bill Murray, he loved it. He loved it, yeah. Um, And you know what? Just four years later... Junji Ito put out his adaptation of Frankenstein. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's not sapphic, but I want to talk about it because yeah. it's probably the best short, quick adaptation of Frankenstein that's out there. Yeah, this was great for me because, again, I haven't read the original, and so this was mm-hmm. wonderful. And love Junji Ito's artist style, too. The creature itself is depicted so well here and that yeah. it's like he looks normal aside from the fact that again his skin is translucent and the eyes are like lifeless right Mm -hmm. and he's very very large it's also it's so faithful to the to mary shelley's novel though one of the big changes is i would argue the gay undertones of victor and henry in their relationship Mm -hmm. um there's much more depth to their interactions than in the original novel And also the story does diverge as I think Junji Ito tried to incorporate some of the themes from James Whale's Bride of Frankenstein into his story. So as Victor is building the the female companion, instead of getting to the point where he dismantles her, instead of the, the creature showing up, it's actually Henry that shows up. And he's like, okay, what are you doing here? Why do you have all these women's body parts? Why are you stitching them together? 
And Victor's like, I must tell you my story, my dark and twisted tale. And then um, when Henry hears everything, he's like, I don't want to believe this, but like, I have no reason not to, I guess. You got to finish building this. If you don't, the, the creature's going to kill you and he's going to kill me too. Like, yeah, we got it. We got to work this out. So then he starts helping him build the, the female companion. But they run into an issue when they cannot find an appropriate head for her. There are just not enough young women dying these days. And every body that they find, for some reason, the woman's head has been destroyed by an accident. Yeah. So eventually the creature does appear with a head. And unfortunately, it is the head of the beloved nanny, Justine, the one who was framed for the murder of Victor's brother. And Victor's totally disgusted by this because everybody loved Justine. She was an important part of their family. But he and Henry managed to finish the job anyway. And Victor basically hopes, like, I'm going to help Justine get her life back. And hopefully she will, you know, kind of be the same Justine, but also someone different. However, when she is reanimated, just like in The Bride of Frankenstein, she is absolutely terrified of the creature. And he, instead of just blowing her up, like in The Bride of Frankenstein and, you know, killing himself with her, he does just kill her. And then he goes on his normal rampage that he goes through yeah. in, the novel, in the novel. Like he kills Henry, then he kills Elizabeth, then he kills Victor's father. And then we go back to being on the boat. So that's really the only point where it where it diverges. But yeah, very interesting. So I've, I've had the physical copy of Jinji Ito's Frankenstein. It has been released in English. And I really thought that the whole book was just the Frankenstein story. And I was surprised to realize that only about half of the book is actually Frankenstein and the remaining half are short stories that are kind of related to this idea of reanimating bodies or of killing loved ones that are close to you and burying them, you know? Yeah. And that was also kind of a pleasant surprise to get into reading all those related stories in the back. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get a chance to read those chapters. I just read the Frankenstein one. I mean, it's very Junji Ito. And the the Frankenstein in this edition, too, he's a little bit more kind of like omnipresent and yes. like kind of appearing out of nowhere and very much in the style of Junji Ito's work of like this kind of force that you cannot stop. It's very, yes. very scary. Yeah, that it, and it makes sense to me why Junji Ito would really connect with the story of Frankenstein and why he would want to adapt it because, the, yeah, that theme of the omnipresent force is present in virtually every single thing that he writes. Yeah. And I would say that Uzumaki, Tomie, and Gyo, some of his most famous works, are all some of the best examples of that, too, of the uncontrollable spiral in Uzumaki that consumes yes. everybody around it that you can't escape. Of Tomie, who the second you think you kill her, she divides herself into multiple copies and is coming after you even more intensively than she was before. And of Gyo, of these mysterious alien robotic devices that are attaching themselves to all the fish and that there's nothing you can do about it because they're robots yes right yeah and they they will they will take you even after you're dead that's and they, that's how they they grow and create more death and destruction yes exactly remina is another good example and black paradox which is one of my personal favorite Jinji ito stories which is about people trying to do a suicide cult but then they get like basically sucked into hell um, <laughs> yeah it's like in every single thing he writes and then he just does it so well here with the monster you know he's always looming and you're seeing him in like these little tiny 
corners, right? Yeah. You're seeing him peeking through the window as opposed to just reading about it. It has such a good visual impact. Yeah. And there is, uh, I, I thought it was interesting too that they incorporated the uh, a blind man from The Bride of Frankenstein. Yes. That the house where Frankenstein hides out and like watches this family, he's like living in their walls and mm -hmm. the father of this family is a blind man. And so when Frankenstein shows up to the door, he's like, oh, hey, like, yeah, let me help you out a little bit. And yes. and then Frankenstein's like, I forget exactly how he phrases it, but he's basically like, oh, I, I'm here to see my family. My family is your family. And then the rest of the family shows up and is like, ah, there's a scary monster in our house. I really think that Bride of Frankenstein is the only other Frankenstein media that he really pulled from for yeah, this. I agree. Which makes sense because it's such a prominent beloved film but it also makes sense because i feel like a lot of junji ito's works might not be overtly queer but they pull from a lot of queer inspiration too yeah horror is just inherently gay in a lot of ways it's true yeah you have to you have to use gay influence for horror because horror was one of the only areas that gay people could be depicting themselves for such a long time that if you're using influence from anywhere a lot of the time it is going to be queer yeah yeah and you know what? Let's talk about another manga. Yeah. <laughs> Frank and Fran. Frank and Fran. I'm, I, so I started reading this. I, I have read most of it once before, but I've never read the sequel of Frank and Fran Frantic. Um, and it's been like 10 plus years since I was reading it. So I was ready to get back in. But then I got derailed and didn't finish. But it's an amazingly funny, dark comedy horror manga if you've listened to our episode on Murcielago, if you like the manga Murcielago, you would probably really like Frank and Fran as well. It's by Katsuhisa Kigitsu. It's an episodic manga. Every single chapter features Miss Frank and Fran, who is a monster girl that was created by the world's most famous surgeon, Dr. Madaraki. <laughs> and she herself is a surgeon, but a very unorthodox one. And she always gives people like a monkey's paw wish. Basically, they want surgery or they want her to reanimate one of their dead loved ones. And she'll make that happen, but with a cost and a twist. And it's not, it's usually not something that they can really predict. Sometimes it'll end up working out well for them and it'll be a happy ending. A lot of the time it'll end up working out pretty poorly and it's going <laughs> to be a, a negative or a funny negative ending. Yeah. I would say that Fran is a character. She's a very sweet girl who comes off as being well-intentioned most of the the time but then there are other times where she comes off as being darkly twisted and like she knows exactly what she's doing and she's just doing this shit to torment people <laughs> but the other thing to know about frank and fran is that she loves love <laughs> and she loves helping transgender people and she loves helping lesbians and she will do what she can to help them out so we love an ally <laughs> just an interesting take on frankenstein too to be like the monster is now doing the same work to other people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, a young, brilliant mind in there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just like the original creature, young, brilliant mind, fast learner. She yeah. is the master at what she does. Mm -hmm. And the cute thing, too, is that she, like, does surgery on herself. So she'll, like, give herself, like, extra arms so that she can play every role in a surgery. So she'll have, like, 12 arms all going at once on the same patient instead of having, like, assistance. And, like, her one assistant is, like, her bestie, who's a guy that um, she put his head on a cat body. Um, <laughs> but he has his actual body, and it walks around and animates on its own. 
Um, and it has a hole in the neck where he can insert the cat body to make it look like he's a regular human again. <laughs> so, and then she has sisters as well that are also based on other types of horror monsters. Man. Yeah. So it's interesting. cute. I was so excited to read this. And then I messed up and I read Frank and Fran Frantic, which the is sequel the sequel series. And I was, it just like pushes you in. And I was just like, sure, you know, they're not going to explain it. She's a Frankenstein. Like, what else do I need to know? Again, it's, <laughs> it's episodic. So I was just like, okay, like there's a guy with a, his head on a cat body. Like, whatever. Like, I, I don't need to know the backstory on that. I, yeah, I, it sounds like they're very similar. I was disappointed that Frankenfran Frantic wasn't more gay. Still pretty good. Still pretty funny if you like kind of very dark horror kind yeah. of gore stuff. Dark horror and gore. It Yeah, it's very gory. It's very weird body horror. If you like horror and you like dark comedies, you'd probably like Frankenfran. Yeah. And also, I will stick to it. I know that Murcielago is an action and I know that Frank and Fran is not a third is lesbian. It's not an eighth is lesbian as Mercy Alago. <laughs> yeah. It's not a one hundredth as lesbian yeah. <laughs> as Mercy Alago is. But if you tone if you like the tone of Mercy Alago, you'd probably really like this. Abs- I completely agree. And if you like Frank and Fran, but you haven't started reading Mercy Alago, you need to read yeah. it. That- oh my god, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. I love Mercy Lago so much fun. I still keep up with it. It's still oh, good. It's, I, yeah, I it's get so back good. In. But yeah, Aaron, I will tell you, I was reading Frank. <laughs> we I found this out right before recording that I was reading the wrong thing. I was reading Frank and Fran Frantic and I was so sad that it wasn't more gay that I was like, I gotta read something with lesbian frankensteins like i i won't be content until i do that and so like 30 <laughs> minutes before we started recording i found the prometheite by Ari D. mulch which is a 2019 graphic novel it was on um itch.io but it's also like available in a hardcover edition and it is a lesbian retelling of Frankenstein. Can you believe it? Wow. Yeah. I want to read this. So we have the main character, Violet, and then her love interest, uh, Aveline. And they meet and they fall in love very, very quickly. They're going to medical school together and they're studying anatomy. But Aveline ends up falling ill And when she does, uh, her family finds out about her and Violet's relationship and they forbid Violet from seeing her. And so Violet is completely heartbroken and is able to see Aveline one more time before she dies. But it's very, very melancholy and she's, she's heartbroken afterwards. But in Aveline's will, she had given Violet all of her organs, and also her anatomy notes. And so Violet takes all of this and reconstructs Aveline and brings her to life. But when she wakes up, she doesn't remember dying. And she's like, where's my family? Like, why are we together in the house? And also, why am I all stitched up and none of these stitches are healing? And so eventually she figures out that she is a Frankenstein monster and she's very upset. And her family also finds out and they come to, like, take her away to, like, kill her. But Aveline ends up escaping from them and Violet is, like, searching for her and is so sad and sorry about it. But they just, like, can't really connect. So finally she chases her to the North Pole 
there Violet kind of is so tired from chasing her that she kind of like collapses in the snow and then Aveline appears to her and they lay down in the snow together to die. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. The art is so cute. I really it's love really the artist cute. style. Just beautiful as well, like and and very good color choice yeah. as well for the story. Like the shading is amazing. Yeah. Uh, what do, what medium do you think this is in? Like, is it I, watercolor? I like, would. Yeah, I would think either ink wash or like a like a watercolor. It's very ink wash. It, all. The, it's all hand lettered, I believe. Oh, maybe not. Maybe it is. I don't know. It's very. It's very fun. These characters are really cute and. And yeah, and just I can't like a, wait to read this. Genuinely. Oh yeah, I was very, I was very satisfied just to get a little bit of some like, you know, no subtext. This is just text of lesbian Frankenstein. Yes, thank God, thank and, you for finding this. Oh sure, no, yeah, and, and they, thank you to Ari Mulch for writing it. Yeah, oh, my goodness, and for putting it online because I was like, I was like, oh, it's hard hardcover. I'm not gonna get it. I like saw. I was like trying to find if it was at the library and it wasn't. And but then. It, it's on ishtad.io. Let's go. It's only $3. Go check that out. I might just buy a copy. Yeah, why not? Oh my god, it recommends also Do You Want to Buy Pinky and Pepper Forever? <laughs> this. Love that. Did you it- see that uh, the, the author of Pinky and Pepper Forever is putting out a zine of FTM My Little Pony comics? No. In which all of the like Friendship is Magic, My Little Pony are trans men. Wow. <laughs> Transitioning and like what that would look like in the My Little Pony lore. I may not be a My Little Pony head, but I support it and I love it. Yeah. Um, and I also, I love um, Eddie Adam, the author's addiction to children's toys and writing stories about them. Yeah. Oh my God. That sounds, I'm going to check that out. That sounds like so much fun. But, yes. And you know what? Speaking of children's toys. You know Are you what? Ready to cap I'm this off? so ready to talk about <laughs> Monster High again. Wow. Oh my god. All right. There so- have been so many developments so- since we did our Monster High episode way back in like yes. 2020. Oh back my god. when we were like, they might, they'll probably never bring the dolls back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, like, if no, only we, we knew. A, we got a full blown Generation 3 reboot. We got to do a reboot episode. We got to do a point. reboot episode. I will say though, like I, I mean, like I watched an episode so that we could, I could talk about it a little bit more in depth. I, maybe this is just because I'm older now or whatever. But like Aaron and I used to get drunk and we would watch the Monster High movies. <laughs> there was something about the old Monster High movies that I think it was just like so obviously created with the attention of just selling a toy and nothing else that it came off very like neutrally to me. And this is, I guess, going to sound kind of odd, but the the new reboot of the Monster High series, the little cartoon that they made, it's made with, like, so much love and so much, like, good intention for, like, young people mm-hmm. to watch it, like a, like a middle schooler or something of, like, I, I don't know. There's something, like, so intentional about it that I'm just, like, I watched it. I was, like, this is obviously just so very clearly not for me that I, yes. I don't know how much I could enjoy it. I, Aaron... <laughs> We are just aging out of certain types of media. And That's you know fine. what? That is how life goes. That's it's how, it how goes. life goes. But yeah, so we have Frankie Stein, who is rebooted for this generation of Monster High. They are now non-binary, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. And, and dating Cleo. Yeah, and dating Denial. Cleo. So Cleo is also a little bit rebooted from the original series, if you're familiar with her. She used to be kind of like the haughty, like popular girl. 
She's and a bad girl. She was yeah, a mean girl. She's a mean girl. Cleo in the new iteration, she's more like kind of like a legacy student and kind of, I, I don't know how to describe her, but like somebody who's like, oh, you know, like I know what's going on around here. Kind of more of like authoritarian, but like more kind, you know? Yes. Frankie, just like they were before, is the new kid around. They were just like 16 days old <laughs> yeah in the original yeah it was like i'm 16 days old and i just enrolled in monster school and yeah. i'm learning what it means to be a monster yeah yeah cleo and frankie end up connecting one day when frankie is really sad that they didn't make it onto the fear leading squad oh. but instead of expressing that they bottle up all of their emotions and it is Cleo who lends an ear to them and lets them express their frustration and how they didn't make it. Even, even though they're really happy for their friends, they're really sad that they're missing out on all these fun opportunities that they would have got if they all were able to join the team. Uh, so Cleo kind of becomes a confidant for Frankie. And then one day Cleo is like she's on this app and the app says like oh this this celebrity is gonna come to monster high and so cleo gets all excited and she's putting this party together and frankie ends up helping her out even though it's kind of clear that frankie already has a crush on cleo but cleo has a crush on the celebrity but in putting together the party the two become really close and then it turns out that it was just an AI thing and there's no celebrity coming. But Frankie shows up at Cleo's room afterwards and the two end up making jewelry together. You know, they're kind of flirty and like seems like they have crushes on each other. But then there was another development like just today. I don't know if it was just today, but oh. Jude, just told, Jude just told me about it today. Cleo and Frankie are going to prom together and reportedly when they planned this out, like other students were around like the other monster high girls <laughs> and they all cheered hooray like cleo and frankie forever we love cleo and frankie together they're such a, like a, a healthy relationship um, <laughs> everybody clapped. And everybody was and everybody clapped everybody was celebrating cleo you know what me frankie. too yeah and me too and the audience is clapping too <laughs> it's such it's such a fun development it is like not to move away from frankenstein's for a minute but like it is interesting to see the the pivot to make Frankie the like non-binary queer sapphic character. If Frankie identifies as sapphic, I, I don't know if they would perceive themselves that way, you know. Yeah. But um Claudine has been left behind. I, know. I have to say it. Oh, Claudine it's so sad. <laughs> was supposed to be a lesbian, has always been a lesbian, and now like I don't know what they're gonna do with her in the lore. I'm I'm curious to see. It's interesting now to have basically the protagonist rather than a side character be the yeah. one that's gonna have the focus with yeah. a queer relationship though. Yeah. New Cleo is so, so different from yes, the past iteration that I don't even, I'm not even sure if, again, I'm not like up on my Monster High stuff, but if she even reads as like a lesbian like she used to. Oh, you mean New Claudine? M new Claudine, yes, sorry. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that she really does either. 
but I guess we will see. Recently, Monster High has been doing a lot of fundraising and awareness raising about anti-LGBTQ harassment and bullying and school policies, which is great to see. And even just recently, they were like, we celebrate everybody at Monster High that is LGBTQ+. Um, All of the monsters are here to support you. And then it showed a picture of us. You scrolled on Instagram through all the photos and they had different pictures of the monsters. And it's like, okay, Frankie first, Cleo second, uh, then like Laguna. (laughs) And then then you get like to Claudine, like in the later pages. And it's like, oh, no. I am also sad. But I'm going to assume that everybody in that post is gay. Yeah. So. Okay. Everybody at Monster High, I think, is gay because they're all I, I monsters so. and they're all based on gay monsters. Right. So. I will say, I'm sad that Laguna is not Australian anymore. I, <laughs> I know Australian. you. Well, you loved that she was Australian. I, I thought understand. it was fun. I thought it was fun too. Wow, so many monsters to talk about. So much we had so much to talk about. What was? What were some of your faves? I loved the camp of the Bride of Frankenstein. That me too. A really good one. I would honestly watch that movie like again. I would, too. Um, I would, too. I think this also just opened me up to, like, really want to re-engage with a lot of other Frankenstein-related media that, mm-hmm. and in kind of in a new way. Yeah. I think that of everything that we went through, the must-sees are Bride of Frankenstein and um, Rocky Horror. Yes. I think the rest you could engage with if you're interested. But I really think that for everybody, quite honestly, those two are must-sees. Yeah. But it was all good. I had fun with it. It was all great. Yeah. Really yeah. liked it. Which is good because I forget what there was one of one of these like monster episodes that we did where I, wa- I watched a couple of stinkers. <laughs> I think it was actually the vampire one. It might have been the vampire one. There was just so much media. But then it was like it was so bad when I watched a bad one because I was like, ah, damn it, I could have been watching a good one. <laughs> I know. I remember you felt that way about the hunger. Yeah. I mean, like they have gay sex. Like it was gay. I don't know. It was just like it wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. I wanted to be watching like Blade (laughs) levels of vampire. Yes. That's (laughs) yes. And maybe we'll, uh, maybe we can do another vampire episode in like five years. Yeah. There will be more to work with then, I think. We just cycle through the monsters. (laughs) Next year, Chucky's. Chucky's. I'm ready for Chucky's next year. So I'm I'm calling that now. I'm going to, I'm planning on that. I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate that for us. Yeah. Chucky's for next year. Yeah, and if you have any favorite monster lesbian media, sapphic media, please send it our way. You can email us at Aaron at gaysgays.com. And if we missed a piece of Frankenstein media that you love, we want to hear about it. Please email us at Aaron at gaysgays to let us know what Frankenstein content you love. Or if we also, if you have a different interpretation as well, also always glad to hear. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, what's up with the ghost voice? <laughs> oh, lesbian ghosts. That's lesbian another ghosts. idea. Ooh, for the that's future. true. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Hey, spirits, man. Yes, thank you so much for listening. If you feel like it, you can follow us on Twitter. We're not on Twitter that much, but <laughs> I've quit Twitter pers- officially. Yeah, Aaron, Personally, Aaron I've quit, quit Twitter, Twitter. But you can still DM us on Twitter if you would like, and we will get back to you eventually. It is at gaze gaze any thoughts ideas or recommendations and we will still post when we launch an episode there if you want to get the updates and wow it's been so long i don't even know the outro i was just gonna freeball it i can't do that you can also email us though at aaron at gazegaze.com and we will respond within a semi-timely manner 
And I we mentioned this inconsistently. We will still send you a mystery attachment if you email us. I've sent a couple weird ones. I'm so sorry. I did. I'm so sorry to this person. I sent somebody like this random Homestuck image of Gamzee, but he's the guy from that one BL manga. And I think they thought that I drew it myself and were like, what a beautiful image. I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry. That was just this random image I have from like 10 years ago on my PC. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, many thanks to Kate and Leslie of Neon and Nude for allowing us to use their songs Look in Love and You Pretty Thing in our intro and our outro music. You can and should buy their album at neonandnude.bandcamp.com, but you can also stream it on Spotify. And next week, it is our fourth anniversary? Yes. That's wild. Four years. Gaze, Four gaze. years. We're also coming up on 100 episodes. I know. Which is crazy. That is crazy. That is really I'm crazy. so proud of you. And I'm I, proud of me, too. I'm proud of you. And me. Mostly proud of you. You have, you edited most of those episodes. I'm excited to do the rest retrospective on this year. This year's been a little less inconsistent. A lot of things happened. But I'm so excited to, to re-explore them and for you to hear those clips. I if know. Ever... I've, like, forgotten what we've done this year, quite <laughs> honestly. This year seemed really long. It seemed really long, but, like, really fast also. Yeah. And if you have a favorite episode, uh, feel free to email us at Aaron at Gaze Gaze and tell us what that is, at, you know, from the past year or from any year. I mean, we love getting yeah. emails. You know how it is. You can receive a strange <laughs> attachment from my computer. Yeah, maybe perhaps related to your favorite episode even. It might. Yeah, you know. It may or may not be. I don't know. I'm not sending the attachments. So <laughs> thank you for taking on that work. Oh, no <laughs> I'm worries. saluting I you. I love Photoshopping stuff. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll, if you want, I'll send you a picture of my Neopet or something. <laughs> yeah, you can also just request a Neopet picture. You can, yeah. So, yeah, next week is the anniversary. And until then, I'm Erin. And I'm Erin. And we're gay. And I'm about to go build a monster in my lab. Ooh, goodbye. <laughs> friend, bye. But friend, bye. Podcast over. <laughs> hey.